0: KRCL, Salt Lake City.
1: Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists and community builders, weeknights at six. I'm Laura Jones, executive producer, joined in the studio by associate producer, Billy Palmer. Hey, Billy
2: hello how are you doing
1: not bad and on the zoom we've got our roundtable tuesday team Rashawn leek and tamrika Katisiashvili. hey how you doing
3: hey laura how
1: are you good Rashawn. how are you as well my friend getting tagged in on your on your tech
4: yeah, I'm trying. Uh, the kids were doing a little meltdown, so I had to go down to the office from upstairs. <laughs> so I'm just trying uh, you know, to get reacclimated. You know how that is. <laughs> One
1: minute to air, and you got to reacclimate. Well, we're we're all reacclimating right now. We've got a a whole brand new show since about three o'clock local time when the verdict came down in the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin and the killing of George Floyd, almost a year ago, May 25th, I believe it was 2020, and guilty on all verdicts on all charges rather and I want to get your your thoughts on that but let's uh, let's share the the audio of the verdict this is taken from CNN
0: earlier today as a jury I will now read the verdicts as they will appear in the permanent records of the fourth judicial district state of Minnesota County of Hennepin district court fourth judicial district state of Minnesota plaintiff versus Derek Michael Chauvin defendant verdict count one court file number 27 CR 20 12646. Six. We the jury in the above entitled matter as to count one, unintentional second degree murder while committing a felony. Find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April 2021 at 1 PM. Signed, juror four person, juror number 19. Same caption, verdict count two. We the jury in the above entitled matter as to count two, third degree murder, perpetrating an eminently dangerous act, find the defendant guilty. This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April 2021 at 1:45 p.m. signed by jury four person juror number 19 Same caption verdict count 3 We the jury in the above entitled matter as to count 3 second degree manslaughter culpable negligence creating an unreasonable risk find the defendant guilty This verdict agreed to this 20th day of April 2021 at 1:45 p.m. jury four person 019 Members of the jury, I'm now going to ask you individually if these are your true and correct verdicts.
1: And then the Please judge respond, in yes this no. case, Judge you're Peter Cahill, goes through verdicts. each yeah. juror, and you're they all and out loud verdicts. affirm yeah. guilty to 19, all these, these charges. Rashawn and Tamrika and Billy, you're before we 20, get to uh, some you're other you're clips, uh, clips uh, reaction yeah. locally, just kind of give me your thoughts, you're especially Rashawn and Tamrika, as just earlier today we were recording what was going to be our 420 show, right, Rashawn? <laughs>
4: uh, yeah i you know i mean i i spoke on it earlier Tamrika and i was telling erica offline i i'm shocked to be honest you know i feel like we've watched we've watched countless times you know uh black men in america be lynched and there's no accountability i mean you know i was telling erica i remember you know i mean i was only a sophomore in high school But but I remember, you know, when it first happened with Rodney King and you thought, you know, that was kind of the onset of, you know, I want to say that that new world we live in with everybody having access to cameras in their pockets. And we thought that was a slam dunk then. And 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 lo and behold, it wasn't. And we watched over and over again. So I was really I mean, truth be told, I feel like I was almost setting myself up to deal with the letdown again when we were going live to air earlier. And so, you know, normally I celebrate 420 for something completely different, but now, you know, I mean, now I have, you know, some other things to celebrate for every, every year when 420 comes around.
1: Interesting that this date has, um, these these intersections T- tamarika we as we were saying we were recording live to tape our show for tonight it was going to be about 4 20. um and now we have this news and i warned you all that this may happen so we will share that show either tomorrow or a week from tonight billy and, <laughs> and i will get cares, it who cares right who cares <laughs> exactly. who cares It's okay yeah
3: who cares i'm so relieved you know and and i did hear you know, Rishan, um was not so sure earlier this afternoon and I just didn't say anything because yeah. how can you argue with his doubt historically? But uh, I'm so relieved and I, I but, but I have to say we have to be so cautious because it took so much evidence for this one case,
1: you know? Yeah, believe you your care. eyes, you can mm-hmm. believe your eyes is what the prosecution right. was telling the jury.
3: And there's not always going to be this much evidence, you know? And so, not to not be celebratory, and I am, uh, and it's a step forward for sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's so many cases that
1: that don't go this way because there's just not as much physical evidence, right? Here in the CNN clip, you can hear in the background a bit of the crowds they were carrying, but also the silences as they're about to lead Derek Chauvin in we're adjourned. Out of the the uh, courtroom and and Billy that we were we were on
2: yeah we were an, watching from different places yeah, absolutely yeah on
1: speakerphone together and that really uh huh you're like wow that's getting me and I'm like that, what
2: that was a that was an image I hadn't expect I hadn't anticipated seeing is a, a police officer or a former police officer in handcuffs after murdering a black person after being convicted in a courtroom mm-hmm. I can't say that I was completely surprised by the verdict. But because the case is, was so unique from what we're used to seeing, we're used to seeing the, the victim on trial when it's a black person and the police officers being heralded as heroes who, you know, made an unfortunate mistake or yeah. any number of defenses. And in this case, we saw a prosecution and a police force um, testify against one of their own officers. And so that, that's the part that surprised me the most.
1: Yeah. We've got Betty Sawyer with us on the Zoom. Let's get Betty unmuted, president of the NAACP Ogden branch, director of Project Success Coalition and many other things. I was asking, Billy, if you ever slept, Betty. Let's get you unmuted. (laughs) Betty Sawyer, there you go. So what is your initial response and, and comments on what we've been talking about so far?
5: I think I've experienced all of those uh, feelings in the last couple of hours. You know, I was hopeful that the verdict would come out the way it did, but I uh, wasn't 100% convinced uh, because we've seen this before. And so, uh, along with my relief that the verdict. Turned away. It, it has. I know that um, this is not the end. You know, we, we can celebrate for a moment. We could be thankful for a moment, but we know that there's still so much more work to be done in this arena. And whether or not we're going to have the conviction to continue to push uh, this police reform movement to where it needs to be in this country is is, is still one of those things that it's going to take all of us working together to make sure it happens. Billy Palmer. You know, I, I
2: think there's definitely a, a huge exhale from a lot of folks after this trial, knowing it could go either way. Uh, and when we think about um, th- th- this, even with all the evidence and the trial, there's this con there's, there's this notion that there's it's very possible that it could have gone the other way. And um so, so I think most people are, feeling that especially black folks is, is sort of a set a sense of exhale but this notion of are we somewhere else now is i don't know if there's anybody uh that is convinced this is but uh, let me let me share this with you um uh, miss minnesota attorney general keith ellison of uh he his words were i could not call today's verdict justice however because justice implies true restoration uh then he went on to say it but it's accountability, which is the first step towards justice, and now the cause of justice is in your hands, in the people's hands. And the thought is, if it's in the people's hands, we have to stop and think about the Black Lives Matter movement and the whole year's worth of uh, movement building and, and wonder what part that played, not in the conviction, but in the, in the prosecution um, in respect. That. All
1: right. We're talking about the verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial, guilty on all charges. And I think I was reading on CNN that Chauvin faces up to 40 years in prison for second degree murder, up to 25 years for third degree murder, and up to 10 years for second degree manslaughter. The Salt Lake City um, Racial Equity and Policing Commission pulled mm-hmm. together a press conference over at the International Peace Gardens. And here is a bit of that. Their first uh, comments here are from... The Pastor Emeritus of Calvary Baptist Church, Calvary Baptist Church, Francis Davis.
6: We, the Commission of uh, Racial Equality on Policing in Salt Lake City, offer our prayers, our support for the family of George Floyd. Uh, we hope that the guilty verdicts that have been rendered by the jury offers some closure and bring some peace to this family. To lose a loved one is painful, but a guilty verdict for the perpetrator, Derek Chauvin, yields some relief. It is our hope that this verdict will foster change so that the policing across our country will be administered with fairness and with care, that policy and practice will be even-handed. As the Racial Equity in policing Commission, we invite all members of our community to join our work in making the changes that need to be made for the better. We urge our community to accept the verdict that have been handed down and to accept them with peace. Let us commemorate now as we share together this occasion by honoring the memory of George Floyd with peace. I am
7: Commissioner Shiflet. I got down on my knees and I thank God because I said thanks be to God that this happened. Um, but it's not over. And I think about all the families who didn't get justice. There are still so many families out there who haven't gotten any justice yet. But for now, I'm, I'm a little numb. I thank God. I don't know how to receive this. I don't know what's going to happen, if there are going to be reactions. But. I I just, I'm just grateful to see this happen in history. I'm grateful that my parents are still alive in their late 80s and that they could see this happen in history and that my sons, I just pray for them. I sent them a message and said, please be safe. Just be safe. The most poignant thing that I heard today when the verdict was announced was someone say, Mm. I can breathe. Mm. As I was walking, my phone was ringing and he called twice. It was my dad (laughs) and I knew what he wanted. I'm like, I can't talk to you right now. (laughs) This is a powerful moment for many of us that have been working for social justice All of my life (laughs) (laughs) just to be able to say black lives matter and no one can kill black people with impunity there must be justice this is step one in that we have a lot of work and a long way yet to go but we're gonna hold on to today (laughs) we're gonna hold on to this moment and rejoiced. Rejoice in it.
1: Starlene McDonald, also Carol Shiflet and France Davis of the Salt Lake City Racial Equity in Policing Commission for Salt Lake City. And they were at the International Peace Gardens after the verdict was read in the Derek Chauvin trial today. And that's what we're talking about here on Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. We've got a bunch of folks on Zoom with us, but, but Billy Palmer, I'd love to get some more legal analysis.
2: Absolutely. I think we all sat around with bated breath uh, in 2021 for a verdict like this and, and wondered if it would still happen. Uh, but I think the, the case itself is it was it felt very unique to me. I don't think I've, I've felt like I've ever seen a case like this before. So I'm really curious. Uh, Erica George, who is the professor of law and the director of the Tanner Humanity Center at the University of Utah, wanted to get your thoughts on really sort of an overall view on the verdict uh, the case and and all of that.
8: Oh, sure. Thank you so very much. It's always a pleasure to be here. And I'm still processing my feelings, but you've asked me for my thoughts. So I'll share those. Share and, both, please. <laughs> okay. Um, I am still shaking. And like Rassam said earlier, um, I have prepared myself for a different outcome um, because that's so often, too often has been the case. Um, We have not believed our eyes before. We've seen different things when we see a black body suffering. So um, out of primarily self-protection, I was prepared for what could be the worst, but also the inevitable that based on my past life experience. So I am still, I, I, I am not elated. I am far from that. I am exhausted and relieved and I am still grieving. Um, So those are my feelings, and I take care to keep those separate from sharing thoughts and ideas about what the rule of law is, and I'm very glad that the jury in this case found the courage and conviction to convict in this instance, Um, so relief just was the one word that I posted after hearing of this verdict, which was hard. Um, This has been a difficult trial to avoid. And I um, know that sounds perhaps wrong, but it was one that I needed to avoid. I needed to avoid the murder of a Black man on repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat in this particular case when there's so many other cases as well. So I'd like to now talk to you about what I think in the broader context of what it means to have accountability in these instances of police violence. Um, I'm a law professor, law Twitter is ablaze. I've been following colleagues who were at University of Minnesota and other schools who are criminal lawyers. I'll add here, I'm not a criminal lawyer, I'm a human rights lawyer. Um, Mr. Floyd's rights were clearly violated. But um, the commentary has really looked at the broad sweeping context of who gets justice, who's denied justice, who's held accountable and who isn't. And apparently, um, and this is verified by the ACLU of Minnesota, this is the first time a white police officer has been convicted for um, the death of a Black person in police custody. Um, I'd still like to see more to verify that, but that doesn't seem implausible to me um, because the other things being shared are the other names of the many people who've been killed in police custody or killed by police that have been people of color black people and unarmed that have not had their days in court or their murders um answered for so that remains um, the clip you read from um was it ellison
2: yeah it was the Ke- st- uh, attorney general keith ellison
8: yeah yeah so i think he drew an important distinction and it's one that i make as well um, there is a difference between accountability and justice, and so there are multiple forms of justice. Um, perhaps we can get to a point where we can talk about restorative justice. We cannot bring George Floyd back, but we can make sure that there are fewer George Floyds, there are no George Floyds, and justice is a process. This is one case, one man, one officer, and there are multitudes, there are many. Um, so I am mostly relieved um, just thinking about the devastation that would have been caused by a different outcome, and I mean kind of the spirit injury to people and communities, not just the property damage that I know some people are deeply concerned about, but what this says, what it speaks, and that it was we, the people, the people, the state of Minnesota, the people of the state of Minnesota decided that this was too much, that this is three much, this is beyond, this is enough, and it can't continue, and it has to stop. And so that's how I'm understanding this. Um, It isn't over. As we know, criminal defendants do have rights to appeals. We'll see what happens. Um, But these were strong, strong signals that this is no longer how police business is to be done.
2: I certainly appreciate all of those views, and I also appreciate um, that we're feeling this. I mean, you're making that distinction, of course, but we can't help but, uh, with our history of seeing so many things, and then uh, those people being people that look like us, Black folks, and all of our experiences all seem to be sort of tied into some of our uh, feelings in, in responding to this, would you say? Yeah,
8: yeah, I would say. I, I would say that I'm in an embodied way, I've been bracing, I've been braced for this. It's kind of the constant state of vigilance and being prepared for the assault or the onslaught of... This wasn't a big deal. This didn't matter. This isn't a real harm or injury. This person deserved it or did something or was somehow culpable of being other than what we need him to be. Um, so, yeah, this is, this is a relief. But I'm still very tired.
4: I hear
2: it's,
8: you. It's a closing.
2: Uh, uh, Garfield. Director of the Black Cultural Center and sometimes uh, co-host here on KrCL with the changing the narrative crew on Thursday nights. F- for you, I we can we, I guess we do have to just speak from our from our heart and soul in order to even get into this conversation at all let let's hear some of your reactions and you know for a person doing the work that you're doing right now, what One, what does this mean to you? And then the other thing, as you are dealing with young minds at the University of Utah, uh, does this help to move things forward in some of our discussions and changing those narratives?
9: Yeah. uh, uh, Thank you, Billy, for kind of bringing me on the show today. I am more afraid now than I was previously. Um, And the reason why I'm afraid right now is I think we get complacent. Um, when good things happen, um, especially like a prime example, when president Obama was elected president (laughs) and we said, oh, it's pro-racial America, Right, we're over, over. we don't see color. We don't see nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I am more afraid that police reform and, uh, criminal justice reform and various other things will kind of become complacent and people say, oh, well, you got your cookie, leave us alone. (laughs) <laughs> right right, and I, I'm more afraid of that actually kind of going into this following week and then going into the following months just more so uh you know really understanding what what exactly does this mean for our country what does this mean for activists what does this mean for even in the field that I operate in as far as an under equity diversity and inclusion where they say oh well you got your cookie do we need uh, <laughs> services such as a let, black Health center? Let, let's, let's,
2: <laughs> let's bring some clarity to that. Uh, when we say, you know, Obama was elected president, what was the, re- you feel like some of the reaction was, and I, I think I hear what you're saying, but I want our listeners to hear that is, is what you're saying is, uh, uh, you know, well, we got to, we, we have a black president. How can racism, how can you claim racism anymore? Yes. Uh, you know, we've, you got a verdict. He, uh, the man was convicted uh, How can or, we claim any police officers
9: are bad anymore? Yeah. Right.
2: So <laughs> that's what you're saying. Do you want to do you, do you want to talk about that a little bit? What makes you say that? What is what is the experience behind that uh, to, to to have that point of view? Uh,
9: just my experiences as far as in the public and then especially um, in the higher rate kind of climate, people usually project, oh, you know, things are progressive, things are good, things are going in a good place. And I think, especially after this election, um, which not to get any political or anything, but just you know, not not being uh, President Trump, uh, former President Trump being elected, and the way of politics kind of shifting, um, and then you have like Georgia kind of flipping, but then weeks later, you still have laws being passed that suppress the vote. We we forget everything else that is kind of going around um, on around us. Um, because of these moments of clarity, and so I, I think more so, especially during this time, it calls for us to be more vigilant to understand that this is just a small step, um, and it is not the only thing that is good that is supposed to come of this. This is supposed to be several things um, in a fight of a much larger fight, rather be against uh, police, rather be police reform, rather be criminal justice reform. Um, even on this day, like 4:20. Um, which we celebrate marijuana, even <laughs> even with that understanding that- You're just going to say still, it outright,
2: huh? You know, say it <laughs> Out outright.
9: <laughs> even with that understanding that there are still people locked up today yeah, with right. criminal charges for selling weed. And so like, what does this mean? Uh, and I, I just, I'm more afraid today because uh, I just don't right. want people to become colorblind and I don't want them to be justice blind as well.
2: Let's yeah. bring that back to to Betty. Sawyer, Miss Betty, the this notion of uh, yeah, I think you've said it. I think uh, each, each person has said it. Uh, this, you know, we're not going to get excited here. We can't. We have to realize that, uh, not that we have to. We do realize that this is tied to so many things uh, throughout our history, and our own experiences with however many years we've been on on this earth tells us that this is nothing to. Um, take for granted, but it's also tied, I think one point to be made here is the brother of uh, George Floyd and the brother of Emmett Till uh, bonded through this process as they begin to work together. So it y- when you think about the tie from Emmett Till to George Floyd and the families that are grieving through these deaths, uh, along with our country, that kind of spells that the The criminal justice system, um, the reason those that neighborhoods are patrolled so much poverty, all of those things uh, t- tie themselves into um, this circumstance, this case, and and the murder of George Floyd. I guess I'm throwing a lot at you there, but what would you be your, what would be your, um, uh, what would be your remarks to that?
5: I would say probably, you know, first and and foremost, we we do have this real lived experience. and, And people are often trying to talk us out of what we know to be truth, to accept this other narrative. At the same time, you know, even in this trial, they tried to use that, the defense that narrative against the black body, you know, blaming the victim, he had to do something. And this is a resounding and reoccurring theme when we get to these places of trying to address police misconduct or the murder of another black body. But one of the things that immediately came to mind in terms of that forward motion, we still had people in authority that stood by and did nothing. And so while we can feel a little relief on one hand we know that we're going to get just as much pushback on the other hand because when addressing these kinds of issues people want to immediately say i'm not racist that's not the issue but we know that underneath a lot of what we see every day underneath a lot of the policies and procedures and practices is this institutional racism piece and until we really uh, make a commitment to address that and pull back all of those layers and for the long haul then then we're going to find ourselves you know we have other trials that are going to be pending we have another murder that's happened since then you know what what are we going to do and and it's not just enough for the black community and allies to stand up and everybody has to stand up and recognize that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. That it may not happen to you today, but it can happen to you the next day. And so the struggle is real. It has to continue uh, these things about failure to intervene and other reform efforts that need to take place qualified immunity. The list goes on and on. And so this is not a one and done. Well, can we celebrate for a minute? But we know there's a lot of work to be done, and we are nowhere near post-racial society, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> Betty Sawyer, Ogden, NAACP. <laughs> I spoke with your counterpart down here in Salt Lake, uh, Jeanetta Williams. Yes. Uh, and she was talking about the, wins, the win loss in terms of local policy. And, you know, duty to intervene didn't make it through the legislature this last session, qualified immunity. I mean, the governor is about to sign a bunch of reforms into law um and taking a victory lap there but that duty to intervene is interesting because there were folks trying to intervene in this george floyd case professor amos giora erica one of your colleagues up there at the university of utah and the sj quinney college of law is constantly beating the drum for bystander legislation yes but if you're not allowed to intervene by the state there is that conflict right there miss sawyer
5: and And that's what we saw. all of the bystanders were trying to intervene, but law enforcement, his fellow officers were not they were standing there and knowing that something was was definitely wrong and did not speak up, did not stand up, did not pull him aside, did not stop that action that day and well, And that's I... what we're talking about
1: Erica George, go ahead
8: now i i wanted to speak to that point because that's so critically important the people who were most able to intervene failed to those other officers but those were people under his tutelage he was training those officers um i have a happy story that i want to share that's related to this in past instances where police have intervened in other police abuses they have been penalized and they've been fired Um, There's some happy news out of this week. Um, Two law professors represented an officer who was fired for intervening in a chokehold. Only just this year has she been um, vindicated. But in 2006, this Buffalo, New York police officer, um, Carol Horn, intervened to stop a fellow police officer who was using a chokehold against a black unarmed suspect. Um, And an internal investigation found her in violation of policy. So um, this was someone who was 19 years in the force, someone very experienced, um, and she was penalized for taking steps to actually protect the public from her colleagues. Just months before she was
1: qualified for that retirement and that pension, and now 18 years later... Mm
8: -hmm, mm -hmm. Back pay... yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, justice delayed, denied. Sure. She may have saved a <laughs> life that day, yeah. Yeah. Right. for all we know. Yes. But that the person pointing out the problem became the problem. Until that stops, we'll continue to have a problem.
1: Rashawn Leak, you wanted to weigh in on that. You were going to bring up this. No, this case. I, I
4: love that Erica brought that up because I think that's part of the problem. When, you know, when officers, and I'm not giving anybody an out because I think everybody should be held accountable, but when officers are seeing what happens when you stand up or where you say something, it creates this blue coat of silence. You know, if if this is your job and you're co- you felt like a calling was to be an officer and then you see someone doing wrong appear and you step up and you're the one penalized for it. All it does is create us. It, it creates this world where no one wants to stand up. And now you create officers such as Derek Chauvin and other officers who have a history of. Of over policing, if you will, are are seem to be rewarded for these actions, and the ones who speak up about it, the ones who are who have the community's best interests at hand, are the ones penalized. I I cannot, you know, I mean, speaking on behalf of the officers, I don't know if if I would put my livelihood in line for that. And so that's the thing we're we're asking them to do a lot, and the system who's supposed to protect everybody is failing.
1: Mm. Rashawn Leak part of our Roundtable Tuesday team. Tamrika Katisiashvili is with us as well. And I wanted to get a little bit more of your perspective because the show that we had recorded for 420, which we will play sometime, I promise you folks, you are commenting about um, your unique view um, as an immigrant, as someone from Georgia, the (laughs) the country, country, not the state, not the state, your view on this. And I'm kind of curious if you could share that with us here before we go to a, a song to take a little breather. I feel like we've been talking for hours. It's only been 30 minutes, folks. <laughs> this is such a great conversation. Tamrika.
3: Well, I mean, I come from a system of um, uh, of political systems and countries where I've witnessed lots of abuse, uh, not personally, but just people in general. You know, police are never held accountable from places where I grew up. However, the difference here that it's very specific to a specific race, right? So it's, to me, I guess I will know that the system is fair in America when we're not surprised by the verdict, you know? And um, of course I'm so happy for it, but I just hate how happy we are about it. You know, how surprised we are. And once that stops, then we'll know that justice is just being served. Um, so I guess that's all I've got to say.
1: When we come back, comments from Lex Scott of Black Lives Matter Utah, and more with our panel discussion Billy Palmer, Tamrika Kathisi Shvili, Rashawn Leek, our guests, Melijah Garfield, Erica George, and Betty Sawyer. I think I hit everybody in that one.
10: I just want to leave. Keydron
1: Bryant here on KRCL
10: 90.9. I'm a young black man Doing all that I can To stay Oh, but when I look around And I see what's being done
1: for krcl comes from the uncomfortable truth podcast filmmaker loki mulholland and freedom writer louvon brown ask questions about race and racism in america the uncomfortable truth is available on all podcast streaming apps
9: the safe utah crisis chat and tip line provides real time crisis intervention for kids and teens through live chat and a confidential tip program Licensed clinicians respond to calls and chats with crisis counseling, referral services, and mental health resources. Search for Safe Utah in the App Store for download. You're
1: listening to Radioactive on KRCL 90.9 FM. I'm Laura Jones. Coming up at 7 o'clock, Democracy Now! Followed at 8 o'clock by Vagabond Radio. Late Night Lowdown at 1030, Super Sounds at 1 a.m. All of our programming and the Radioactive Archives may be found online. At KRCL.org. We blew out the show so we could talk, react, kind of process the Derek Chauvin trial and the guilty and all charges verdict that came down earlier today in Minneapolis. Billy Palmer in the studio on Zoom. Yeah. We have with us the Roundtable Tuesday team. That's right. Rashawn Leek and Tamrika Katisiashvili and a great panel discussion going. Before we get back to our panelists, Billy, I wanted to share a conversation I was able, I had two today with Lex Scott before we knew. When the verdict was coming down, and then after the verdict, and she was pretty emotional and in that second one, and here's that conversation where I asked her for her initial reaction.
11: I'm so happy for George Floyd's family. um I never met a police brutality victim's family that got justice so and I have police brutality victims texting me about how happy they are for George Floyd's family so it's just it's it's emotional. Um we know the movement isn't over. Wouldn't that be nice if the movement ended today and we had justice for everyone? Um but I always wondered what justice felt like and uh I guess it's just surreal, I guess.
1: Uh, I spoke with Janetta Williams as well to get her reaction, Janetta Williams of the NAACP and and wanted to understand what this means. This is one case, one moment in time in a string of these cases. So where does this, where do we go next? I guess is my question, Lex.
11: Well, I don't know if it's true. Is it true that Joe Biden talked to George Floyd's family and and agreed to help pass the Justice and Policing Act? Somebody commented that, I don't know if that's true. Um, But we need the Justice and Policing Act passed through the Senate. Um, It has passed the House of Representatives twice. It passed once under the Trump administration and um, it passed under Biden. And now we need the senators to vote on that. Um, It's a historic police reform bill and it's comprehensive. So that is what we need to do next.
1: And you, I know, are headed down to—is it Washington Square in the heart of Salt Lake City for a joint rally? It's Black Lives Matter Utah, Utah against police brutality. What are you? What are your thoughts as you head down there to meet people?
11: So I guess they changed the location to the Public Safety Building, which is police
1: headquarters. A block east. There we go. Two blocks yeah. east. Two blocks yeah. east of Washington Square.
11: Um, what is my thought? Just healing. Tonight, um, just a celebration with all, um, we have a lot of police brutality victims who are coming and it's just a night, I think, of kind of a celebration of George Floyd's life and a celebration of a victory. I'm going to call it a victory. Um, And it shouldn't be a victory to convict a murderer of murder. It's, it's sad that we have, that we, we get so little justice that we have to celebrate this right now. Um, but we are, I'm going to get some non-alcoholic
1: champagne. Okay. It's a, it's an exhale, I think, right. Uh, across the country, there are folks that are going to disagree with it. There are folks who, um, think uh, there's too much of an extreme push to defund the police. And I know that in planning this event, when the verdict came down, you wanted to make it quite clear. This is peaceful and the movement continues. So what's your message moving forward?
11: Yeah, I mean, we've remained peaceful for eight years. And I think people think that's easy to do. That isn't easy to do. Um, I spoke with a, a reporter who does national news and she said do you realize that utah is one of the few states where when black lives matter holds a protest you're surrounded by white supremacists with guns and I, and i said i didn't know that i thought that was just normal i i didn't know <laughs> and and when people surround you with guns and they they're screaming racial slurs at you um it's hard to keep the 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 crowd from engaging and taking their bait, you know, and and so when I say hey, we've had a peaceful eight years, um, that's been a, a hard road to cr- to climb, and so you know I'm very proud of us for that, and and we're we're only peaceful because we want the headline to be about the police brutality victim, not about something that happened at a protest. So yeah, tonight should be a lot of tears of joy um and of sadness you know we can't forget george floyd is still dead we can never bring him back we can convict his murderer but but that's a life snuffed out so i expect a very emotional night tonight
1: lex scott of black lives matter utah chapter and i'm Looking at my YouTube feed right now, Billy Palmer, and can see that folks are gathered at the at the public safety building. Looks like Franz Davis, who we heard earlier this hour, is speaking currently, and it looks like a much different picture from what we experienced a year ago mm. when George Floyd was killed in the streets of there, Minneapolis. There was a lot of grief.
2: Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of grief at that time.
1: And I remember you telling me because because you we weren't COVID, we weren't you know yeah. we were we were homecasting, <laughs>
2: but rough. you
1: went down there and you told me that at a certain point. Um, and Lex mentioned this too earlier today that you were telling folks the rally is over that was by the organizers. Yes, yeah. And black and brown bodies. That
2: was the same day that the police car got turned yes. over. Uh, I went down to the rally extra early. I, I think I was there at the beginning of the rally for the for the car caravan. Yeah. And um, so many cars were there that you know you could go on to to Fifth South, which is a one way street, five lanes. And it was a parking lot and people were just signs everywhere. And it was one of the most emotional days I think I've ever had because I'd never seen so many old white folks and young white folks and Hispanic folks and native Americans, you name it. I mean, you just, you name it. And everybody was chanting loud as they could and crying, you know? And I think the grief, yeah, I think the grief, um, from that time, I think there was a lot of people holding a lot, in and I think it was all pouring out that day, but it was it was nonviolent. the whole The, the, the whole thing was nonviolent. They marched down. Black Lives Matter was there, and um, so it was uh, uh, co- the coalition against police brutality. Utah's against police brutality. Mm-hmm. And at a certain time, their rally had ended, and they uh, were encouraging people to keep it peaceful. And there were some rowdy folks down there. I remember my son was getting ready to come down, and I said, "You know what? It's just Maybe don't come down to the library here now because I'm seeing the rhetoric change. Mm-hmm. And um, but I remember Ray Duckworth. Uh, that's the first time i had ever met her. Um, she was uh, ushering people of color and black folks, especially. Like, listen, I don't want y- any of y'all to get hurt. Uh, I think I have that on video as well. I think I was covering it uh, on my on. You're doing some on, uh, Facebook Live. On some yeah. Facebook Live, and she was saying, "I don't want y'all to get hurt." um, when the, when there's going to be a lot of police coming, there's going to be, there's a lot of rhetoric here. And then the car got flipped. Uh, and some people were just coming down because there was just a lot going on and they were probably seeing it on the news and, and, um, Black Lives Matter and, uh, against police brutality. Long after the rally had ended, they were standing on the edges saying, Hey, if you're coming down here just to watch this, this is not where you want to be things are going South, but it's, interesting that their rally had ended hours before that completely nonviolent, and then Martin Luther excuse me Black Lives Matter gets blamed for the violence yeah right and we hear like Elijah
1: I I can see you shaking your head and kind of kind of chuckling let's get you unmuted and get you in on this with us oh hold on one second I got to remember to unmute you and turn you on so there you go
9: (laughs) no I, I just find it funny every time something like that happens it's usually like oh well these are these folks, uh, black lives matter or black feet, people right. that are looting and, um, destroying the world. And I'm just like,
2: ah, it seems like men. it was universal. The black lives matter got, it <laughs> got blamed for every single incident of violence throughout the country. We know we have, there was 200, uh, protests from what the city recorded. There was something close to 200, um, protests last year. Yeah. Um, and I think we, I think I remember two incidences of, uh, public uh disturbance of of, of things getting damaged mm-hmm. uh people getting hurt uh was very few as far as you know but call it burning down cities and and you name it th- those kinds of that kind of rhetoric i i shouldn't have read the comments but on on some don't the,
1: read the comments some of
2: the news some <laughs> of the news that were coming out on our local uh, media a mm-hmm. lot of the comments were well, it doesn't matter what the verdict's going to be. They're just going to burn mm-hmm. down the city, board everything up. And I thought in Utah, we didn't even see that, but we're still hearing that that's what's happened. That's what happened in Utah. It's, a, it's an interesting narrative that, that continues to happen.
1: Betty, and- let's get Betty back in here. Betty Sawyer from the Ogden branch, of the NAACP. One of the uh, pundits that I heard earlier today, in anticipation of the verdict, was, you know, cities across the country are are taking precautionary measures and boarding things up, and she's like. That's just saying to the crowd, come on down, we're ready for you. And so I am, I'm really pleased to so far see what I'm seeing. Granted, we're in the studio here and don't know exactly what's going on out there, but everything looks great in Salt Lake. I don't know what's going on in Minneapolis, but tell, tell us about that. Because full disclosure, I used to work for Salt Lake City Police and the chief of that time, Chris Burbank, said, if we show up in riot gear, people will throw rocks
5: at us. Right, Betty? And, and, I, I, and I think you have a point there. You know again as we look back at the protests most of the ones we were engaged in were peaceful protests we don't go out to 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 loot we that's not why we go out we're out trying to push that narrative about change and fairness and equity and justice and that's one of the ways we do it to get people's attention but not through violence you know we we still hold on to some of those uh, Kenjin principles of nonviolence that Dr. King taught us, and that our goal is to bring people together for that change. And and when we anticipate, when we plan for the negative, uh, I believe we draw that negative attention to ourselves. And and again, we're we traditionally take the high road, despite everything that goes on, despite how we've been treated these 400 plus years we continue to come back to the table we continue to try to work together we continue to try to give people the benefit of the doubt and and hope for the best and so i think the fact that people are looking to put on riot gear yeah, they may be inviting trouble but that's not why we're here and as we see just in salt lake right now uh, a peaceful Point of time where we just stop and pause in this moment, in this uh, reflective moment uh, of what we've just seen happen, and again to prepare ourselves for for that move forward. But but we don't we don't come to fight that way. We come to fight with words, with law, with policies, and all of those things.
2: Miss Betty, when we yes. when we hear about these uh, these narratives of violence or burning down of cities and We know that Martin Luther King said the riot, he doesn't condone it, but a riot is is the language of the unheard. But quite often, Dr. King, Slick, uh, the nonviolent protesters of their day got blamed for any number of uh, incidences of violence then. This is not new, is it?
5: Definitely not new. And and again, when you had the oppressor uh, in charge of of telling the story, that's what you're going to get, you know. You get all of these false and negative narratives about who we are, what we stand for, how we do what we do when we know that's not uh, that's not the truth. And that's why we have to continue to push back against those narratives. And, and like like said, even though they were out there constantly, anything went wrong, they get blamed for it when they were not the ones. And there are people that come uh, to these protests, to demonstrations just to wreak havoc and it's usually not It's usually not us.
1: Erica George, I know that you had something you wanted to share before the hour was up, and it's a poem, National Poetry yes. Month. Thank you for crossing that intersection <laughs> yes. for us.
8: Right, so my other hat, um, not just the law school hat, I'm putting on my humanities hat, and I wanted to share some words from one of my favorite poets, who is a living poet, who's a black woman, black Afro-Latina woman, um, based in Chicago. Who I've followed over the years and have found that she always just has the right words um, on occasions such as this and many others. So this is Leslie Honoré and this is a poem. Um, she went viral for her poems in the past around Meghan Markle. I think a first George po- Floyd poem, but this is something she wrote two hours ago. It only took millions marching. It only took the streets burning. It only took tear gas. It only took false arrests. It only took billy clubs. It only took rubber bullets. It only took the world watching. It only took murdering innocents. It only took a nine-year-old witness. It only took us watching a man killed on repeat, on repeat, on repeat, like it was ordinary business. It only took a movement to get justice for one black life.
1: Whew, I just had to take a beat. There, very powerful. Well, we just have a few minutes left, and I want to give everybody a chance to give some closing thoughts. Erica, those may have been your closing thoughts. I'm coming right back to you, though, since you're in, in the in the in the zone, so to speak. So, maybe solutions oriented. Like, okay, we we don't rest now.
8: No, no. And I mean, those words, that speaks that. I actually thought of that after Melijah talked about his anxieties that perhaps we would stop, perhaps we would become too comfortable, but that speaks to how much it took and how much it takes and how much it is going to take to continue to make progress in this country. Um, I'm so appreciative of the remarks from our, our, our friend from Georgia, the country. Um, because this is a global issue and the world is watching and they are seeing how we've been and they'll be looking to see what we become. Um, The poet who spoke at the inauguration of our current president, I think also, was very prescient with her words. um, We can speak into being the action in the world that we want to have. So yes, um, qualified immunity, yes, ending it, um, yes, insisting on accountability, and having a justice system that truly is just, that is systemically something that we can believe in. Um, These are conversations that have been going on. I think they're shifting in tone and in urgency and we must continue them. So um, my concluding thoughts are those.
2: Melijah Garfield, your thoughts as we close?
9: Yes, my thoughts, I would say, with this particular matter is just like, especially for students, um, as being a director of the Black Cultural Center, any students out there, um, and young people, please take this time to just breathe. Um, this could be a tough time. And I, I say this for everyone as well, uh, especially those in the fight, protect your magic, protect your magic because your magic will go out of waste <laughs> and you uh, you have thoughts and feelings and things that are going on and I don't want you to die I'm stressing all the time about these things, even myself. And so I just give this mas- message of, please protect your magic. I love you.
1: Betty Sawyer, Ogden branch of the NAACP.
5: And, and I would say along with that, and, and, and Elijah, both you and Erica are right on with that. Uh, Angela Davis and so many others have been talking about uh, rest, uh, radical rest being a former resistance and so I would say that too, as a mother of four sons, I just had to stop and pause and, and deal with my feelings and deal with my thoughts. And as we, you know, take some time off, because we know that these issues don't take days off, but we have to take the time to rest and be restored and be rejuvenated so we can come back and do this one, t- one more time and just call on our communities to com- peace- to peacefully lead the narrative changes that we know are possible. Thank you.
2: Can we it feels a little weird to bring you in since this is a Tuesday night, but uh, what, what are your <laughs> words?
3: Yeah, I maybe with uh, what our guests just shared, I wanna say maybe it's an opportunity for us, for me as an ally to step in even stronger While rest is being taken somewhere else and commit and recommit to the work that needs to continue from tomorrow on and from today on, you know, I really think the work needs to continue. And this is just initial steps and let's celebrate.
1: But all of us are in this fight together. And lawmakers need your phone calls and your letters when it comes to those issues of qualified immunity and duty to intervene that we've been talking about this hour. Rashawn Leek.
4: I think, you know, something that Melijah said earlier. Now is not the time to come complacent. This is, this is not a win. This is, you know, this is just one step. You know, we have to keep remembering and, you know, we have to keep fighting. We have to keep pounding the pavement. We have to keep showing up at marches, showing up at rallies. Showing up at, you know, when the mayor is speaking, showing up when the police are, are holding community engagement opportunities. This is, we need to show up and show and force, you know, and show that that all the time we are aware, we are paying attention, we are watching, we are not, it, it is, you know, while, while I, I put on Facebook that I could breathe, you know, it, it, you don't realize how, how constricted you feel. You know, until something like this happens, you know, because, you know, I, I, I'm still shocked. I'm I'm still a little shell shocked by what you're I'm seeing. And, and unfortunately,
2: ex- you're still exhaling.
4: Yeah, it's not even over, yeah. Billy. I mean, you know, there's still, you know, there's still appeal opportunities. So this is, this is just a small win, but, you know, but this is still a win. And, but, but the fight is not over. And I, and I, and I just, I just plead with everybody listening to just stay involved, you know, stay aware.
1: Billy Palmer, what are your closing thoughts? You know, I
2: think, I, I think we've heard it over and over on this show tonight, and I, I think that's one of the, the big points is, is, uh, is that we, we don't take this as a, a giant victory and, and, and say it's all over with, right? But I, I, I'd like to do a yes and with uh, Rashawn Leak there is, uh, is that it, it, it's not only about protests. It's not only about the marching. It's, it's about um, the day-to-day. What, what did I do yesterday? Uh, to, to be pro-black? What did I do today to not be anti-racist, um, to right. be anti-racist? What am I going to do tomorrow to end racism? It, it takes all of us, it takes a critical mass, enough people to think in that direction and to, to believe um, that it's real, that it's, before your eyes is racism. It is sitting out there. Uh, anti-blackness is sitting out there. And that you can do something about it. And I think that's the, the, the important thing to think about is what are we gonna do day by day? It doesn't have to be a huge work, it doesn't have to be a big push all the time. It can be enjoyment, it can be loving, it can be friendship, it can be connection, it can be showing up to uh, support a black business. Any number of those things are all, they all work. And, and we, as we see, movement building works as well.
1: Well, that is our show. And I just like to echo what Tamrika was saying too. That as an ally in the struggle, there are things that you can do to support, to foster, to bolster, to lift up. And one of those is listening. One of those is showing up, just showing up, Mm -hmm. writing those emails, reaching out to your lawmakers, uh, joining organizations with whom you can make progress and uh, yeah. There's a moment to celebrate right here what this means, but the <laughs> struggle is far, far from over, Billy Palmer. I want to say thank you to everyone and uh, so appreciative that at the last minute when we called, you said, yeah, <laughs> you'll make time for this little radio show and we'll talk about it. So thank you so very much to everybody. To Erica George, to Rashawn Leek, Tamrika Kateshashvili, Billy, Elijah Garfield, Betty Sawyer, all of the guests that we had on recordings. And uh, Billy Palmer, thank you so much. Thank you for, for this, Laura Jones. Here we go. It's time for Democracy Now! Next, love you all. Next, uh, love K- you RCL. too, Miss Betty! <laughs> Bye-bye! Thank you 90.9 FM,
8: HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo.
1: 96.7 FM in Park City and on the web at krcl.org.